So we land in Matthew chapter 26, and I entitled this sermon, His Strength, Our Strength. Of course, I stole it from the 25th anniversary, right? His story, our story. So this is his strength, our strength. Uh, when you have something good uh, in the Christian world, you don't uh, reinvent the will. You steal good ideas and you just make it your own. There you go. His strength, our strength. Um, um, we're going to land in chapter 26. If I can have the verses on the screen. You know, Matthew 26 have 74 scriptures. So are we ready to read 74? No. You're ready to read 15. Okay, so if only, uh, I'm not going to cover the whole Matthew 26. I encourage you to go back and read the whole uh, chapter. It's very interesting. Uh, um, but today, we're only going to cover, I think, about 15 verses. So let's read it together. Is that okay? Yeah? One, two, three, go. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Next. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. I just, uh, I just want to continue just a little bit more uh, portion of scripture, which I did not put on the screen, but I wish I did now. I just want to read to you the portion of the Last Supper. So before all this, uh, it was Jesus administering the Last Supper. And Jesus said, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks, he broke it. And he said to the disciples, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he passed the cup around and he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And then he ends it with saying, they all sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives and they prayed. And I, just a little bit more, I think all of us know the story of Peter disowning Jesus. But I just want to highlight, before I start my sermon, that Peter disowned Jesus three times. And the first time it says, and a servant girl came to Peter and said, aren't you, aren't you the disciple of Jesus? You, you, you were there with Jesus at Galilee. And, and then Peter said, I have no idea what you're talking about. The second time, another servant girl came to Peter and said, I know this guy was following Jesus. And then Peter said, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And sometime later, a crowd saw Peter and the crowd said, I think you are one of the disciples of Jesus. And Peter says, no, I, I do not know this Jesus. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
We've got to remember a few things. And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. You know, this morning I want to talk about his strength, our strength. What is his strength? And what is our strength in this life? First of all, I want to pay, I, I want to pay close attention to, to, the, to two stories. I want to follow the story of Peter, James, and John. Remember when Jesus went to Gethsemane and Jesus said, stay here while I go and pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John and says, come now, you three come over here. Because Peter, James, and John were special to Jesus. They were his close friends. And Jesus said, you, you, you come here, Peter, James, and John, and you, you, you pray with me. And then for the, for the 11th hour, Peter, James, and John slept. And Jesus said, okay, wake up, pray. They slept again. And the third time, Jesus says, wake up and pray. Then they slept again. And then uh, 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 we all know Jesus, Judas came with the army to take Jesus away. Basically, Peter, James, and John failed Jesus three times. And then I want to talk about a story of Peter, where Peter disowned Jesus three times. Both of them failed. You know, the, 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 the whole beauty of Matthew chapter 6, you know, um, there are certain stories that are found in certain Gospels. You know, there are four Gospels, right? The three synoptic Gospels and then the Gospel of John, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are, not every story is found in every Gospel, right? So Jesus walking of water is only found in two Gospels. Jesus feeding the 5,000 is found in four Gospels. So there are only 15 separate events or 15 separate stories that are found in all four Gospels. And I believe that if we can find these 15, Jesus must be telling us that, oh, hey, Guys, there is something very important about these events that all four gospel writers had to put it in their story. And two of them are found in Matthew chapter 26. First is the anointing of Jesus by Mary at the, at the house of Simon the leper, uh, the earlier part of Matthew 26. And I preached on this on the first and second service. But today is the second one where Peter disowned Jesus three times. And it's found in four Gospels. And what is, this, what is the significance of Peter disowning Jesus for three times? Have you, have you asked yourself that? Why three times? Why, why, do, why does the Bible have to tell us that Peter disowned Jesus three times? First of all, let's talk about Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were loved by Jesus. And I believe all of us here are loved by Jesus. They had a special relationship with Jesus. They were close with Jesus. And I believe all of us here are close with Jesus. But I want us to say, and I want to take this to full steam right away, just because we have a special relationship with Jesus, just because we feel like we are close to Jesus, does not mean that we will never succumb to any temptation. See, the scripture says in verse 41, Jesus said, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. First, I want to say, if we do this life in our own strength, we would always fall into temptation. No matter how close to God we think we are, no matter how far away from God we think we are, no matter how close to God we think we are, we will always fall into temptation if we do not watch and pray. See, the disciples, Peter, James, and John took it for granted. You know what they did? You know, they followed Jesus for three years of Jesus' ministry on earth. And just so you know, Jesus didn't rock his ministry in a Rolls Royce and a Bentley, all right? Jesus rocked his ministry on foot. He walked everywhere, and the disciples followed him everywhere. They said to Jesus, look, I followed you everywhere that you go. You want me to feed the 5,000s? I fed. You want me to walk on water? I did. You want me to pray with you? I did. You want me to get a donkey for you? I did. What do you want to do? I followed you. 
Peter, James, and John were really close to Jesus. They were real followers. But I just want everybody to know, just because you are a real follower doesn't mean you will never fall into any temptation. We've got to watch out and we've got to start praying. Because at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, when the battle is the fiercest, and I'm not talking about physical battle, I'm talking about spiritual battles here. When the spiritual battles in your life are the fiercest and the darkest, that is when you need to watch and pray. But what happened to the disciples? Peter, James, and John, they failed. They failed not just once. They failed not just twice. They failed three times to watch and pray, and they fell asleep. Doesn't that speak the same for all of us here, me included, how many times have we wanted to read the Bible and, God, and we said, God, I'm going to read the Bible and pray, and we fell asleep. Most, more often than not, we fell asleep at the book of Numbers. Don't lie to me, I know. Some of you fell asleep at the book of Leviticus. Just trust me, I know. I have fallen asleep before on the book of Leviticus. That book is a, should be a nursery rhyme, right? Seriously. But we've all failed in midst of temptation. And I'm just talking about reading the scriptures. I'm not even talking about the temptation to slander. Because Christians, when we hear the word temptation, we always think about lust. We always think about, oh, we're tempted to sin in the lust of our flesh. But temptation does not just, just talk about lust. We're also talking about slander. We're tempted to spend more money than we should. We're tempted to talk bad about people. We're tempted to do so many things. And now we've got 1,000 people in this sanctuary. I bet you there are 1,000 different ways the devil can tempt us. And we all have failed Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And I just want to establish that fact. Don't think too highly of yourselves. I believe if I ask every single one of you, we have failed Jesus. Now, not just Peter, James, and John. Now, let's move on to Peter. When Jesus said to the disciples, all of you would disown me when the rooster crows. Just imagine the scene. Jesus talking to the 12 disciples, and Jesus was saying, all of you, just so you know, guys, you would all disown me when I die. And I can believe that, I can bet the disciples, and if, if I'm one of the disciples, I can bet I'm going to say, excuse me, did he just insult me to my face? Did I not follow him wherever he went for three years? Did I not eat what he eat, sleep where he slept, probably cleaned up after him for three years? And now he's saying that I'm going to disown him. Excuse me, is he insulting me to my face? And then I bet there's this guy called Peter. I don't think I'm a Peter, who knows? But there's this friend of mine called Peter because I'm one of the disciples, right? And then Peter stands up and Peter says, if everybody would disown you, not me, Jesus, I'm not going to disown you. And I bet, I bet if I'm one of the disciples, I go, well, who do you think you are? Out of all the time to suck up to the teacher, you're going to suck up to him now and you're going to throw me under the bus? You know what Peter was saying? Peter was saying that all these 11 disciples who disown you, but not me, I ain't never going to disown you, Jesus. I am the best follower. I am your best disciple. Doesn't that sound like all of us without all the words and all the pride in it? Doesn't it? All of us at one point, I bet we have said, I'm going to read my Bible from cover to cover this year. That was 30 years ago. And you still slept at Leviticus. You're still on Leviticus chapter 22. I bet all of you said, okay, every year, come August, SIBKL is going to call us into a 40-day fast and pray. Jesus, this is the year. 
2019 is going to be my year. I finish 40 days. Not 49, not 48, but 40. I'm going to fast and pray. Come August, Jesus, next year is my year, all right? Next year, I will fast and pray. And we failed. We said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to attend church every single Sunday. 52 Sundays of the year, I'm going to attend church. And it's 2019, and you're still at 60%. You're still attending church 35 out of the 52 weeks. I'm going to attend cell. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to pray for somebody. I'm going to tell my family about Jesus. I'm going to tell my friends about Jesus. How many of us have ever made that bold proclamation in our hearts? But we failed. How many of us can say that we have made bold proclamations and we have never failed a single one? Never, ever failed a single one. Can anybody raise their hands? I'm not. If, if you are the one, come see me after the service. I want to get to know you, all right? Teach me, sir, rabbi, how you did it because I cannot. I have made so many promises to Jesus and I trust me when I tell you, I'm the first one to say I have failed so many of them. I failed so many of them and we're marked by failures. But the real question is, what do we do when we fail? That's the real question. What can we do when we failed? Have you allowed your failure to define your Christian life? Do you ever remember a time that you were so fired up for God? You were touched by God. You had a personal experience with Jesus. And in that moment, you feel like your heart could burst with love. You feel like your heart could explode with so much peace and so much joy and so much grace. And God has delivered you from your sin. God has delivered you from your shame. God has delivered you from your bondages. And you're just so grateful to God. And in that moment, you make a promise. You say, God, I'll follow you all the days of my life. God, I'm going to, ooh, I'm going to memorize scripture, one, one scripture a week. Ooh, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then one year later, you have not even accomplished one promise and you feel so guilty you feel so ashamed and you're saying that you know God I can't do it because hey my career comes first hey God I can't do it because I need to earn more money to feed my family hey God I, I, I can't attend all the cell group because hey you know Wednesday night or Friday night sometimes my boss calls me out and I gotta network with people so that I can get ahead of my career and, and then God is saying that you said you wanted to be a cell leader at one point you wanted to serve in the house of God what happened to you now you're not even serving you're not even a leader and you say oh God God, um, I'm not worthy to be a leader because I've not memorized one scripture a week. I failed. I failed. And these people are the holy ones. These pastors are the holy ones. They are the leaders. I'm not the leader. And, you and you've allowed your failure to define your Christian life. And every single year that passes by, you have drawn more and more boundaries with God because failures after failures defined you. How many of us have said, you know, I'm going to... I've experienced the love of God. I just want my brother to experience the same love of God. He needs Jesus like I need Jesus. I'm going to pray for his salvation. Six months later, have you prayed for his salvation? One time. And that's about it. And he's nowhere near church. And you're nowhere near inviting him. And you feel like a failure. And then you tell yourself, okay, no more. I'm not going to pray these prayers anymore. I'm not going to invite my brother to church. No, no, it's okay. Maybe... I will go to cell and then I get my cell leader to invite my brother to the church. How about that, God? How about that? Can we compromise there? Right? 
How many of us have done that? How many of us have said, in my workplace, I want to shine for Jesus. I want to tell all my colleagues that Jesus is God and they need Jesus like I need Jesus. And then, and then you, you gossiped. And then after that, you have a bad work ethic. And then you never come to work on time. And then you blackmail your boss to give you a raise or a promotion. And then somewhere inside of you, your guilt is telling you, you have failed Jesus and you're not good enough. So you better not make any more promises. And sooner or later, year by year, month after month, you are drawing more boundaries with Christ. You stop serving because you feel so guilty. You stop preaching the gospel because you feel so guilty. You stop reading your Bible because you feel so guilty. You stop praying because you feel so guilty. And you pacify yourself by saying, it's okay. Just like Peter, what do we all say? We say, at the end of the day, I'm not as bad as the other Christian. Isn't that what Peter said? The other Christians are the bad ones. The other disciples are the bad ones. Jesus, I will never disown you. That's what we say. We look around. And that's why Christians in the church, we're so judgy all the time. We're so, we're so quick to make judgment. Why? Because we love to look around the church and say, oh, this is why I'm coming to church. Oh, you. Okay, my marriage is bad, but nothing compared to yours. I still have a marriage. All right? Okay, oh, my, my children are bad, okay? My children are failing my exams. Uh, they're getting C's and getting D's. Nothing compared to your children. They're not even in school. Right? And they say, oh, okay, I may not be a good Christian. I may not be a cell leader, but nothing compared to you. You don't even know where the book of Matthew is. Right? I said, okay, it's all right. I don't get to pray for people. When people are needing healing and they raise their hands, I don't, I don't have to, to pray for them. Why? Because I'm not as bad as that leader. That leader is just standing there looking at the guy who needs healing. You pray yourself. Lah. It's okay. I pray myself. You also can pray yourself. Right? And then we start coming to church and then we start pointing fingers at everybody else just like Peter pointing his fingers at everybody else. What have we become? And then God looked at Peter and says, at the end of the day, you're going to disown me when the rooster crows. Why didn't he say James and John? Because Peter is the one who compared himself and elevated himself above every other Christian. Doesn't that remind us of us, of you, and of me? We love to elevate ourselves above every other Christian. And the moment we do that, we don't even have to say it. We can just think it. We can just have it in our hearts. The moment we do that, God says, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. You will. But that's not the end of the story. You could be marked by failure. You could be marked by shame. You could be marked by guilt. But I want to tell you, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus' perspective. He was there all the time. He knew the disciples would fail. He knew we would fail. He knew Peter, James, and John will sleep at the 11th hour. He knows that we will sleep at the 11th hour. He knows. But yet, what did Jesus' last words to Judas were? Now, we all know Judas betrayed Jesus. We all know Judas is the worst of the lot. But look at the God we serve. What was Jesus' last words to Judas in the book of Matthew? His last words to Jesus, his last recorded words to Jesus are, do what you have come here for, my friend. Judas was marked by failure. He was the worst of the lot in terms of failure. And God didn't use friends sarcastically. He didn't say, do what you have to do, friend. 
I don't think that's how Jesus said it. If you study the Greek, that's not the connotation Jesus said it. He said it, he said it like how they say it in the Middle East, Habibi. Have you been to the Middle East? Habibi. Habibi, if, if somebody in the Middle East calls you Habibi, you're my friend. I'm going to give you a kiss on the cheek because you're my friend. I'm going to embrace you, hug you, invite you to my house. You're my friend. And that's what Jesus said to Judas. Even though Judas has already failed him, even though Judas has already betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus still called Judas my friend. But the difference between Judas and Peter, Judas was marked by so much guilt. The next day, he went, he threw the 30 pieces of silver, and he went to kill himself. Peter, he failed Jesus. He didn't fail Jesus three times. He failed Jesus six times. And I don't think there is a, is a proper number to the, whether it's three or six in our lives. I think in our lives, it could be 30, it could be 60, it could be 90 times. We could have failed Jesus a hundred times. Jesus is saying, Peter failed him so many times, so much more than Judas. Peter was also marked by guilt. Peter also felt, oh my goodness, I am the worst sinner in the world. But what was the difference between Peter and Judas? The last verse of Matthew 26. Matthew said, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Peter repented at the feet of Jesus. Peter never let his failures define his Christian life. The moment you let your failure define your Christian life, you end up like Judas. You slowly retreat and regress in your Christian life to a point where you feel like you should kill yourself. But don't be like Judas. Be like Peter. Peter failed. He was marred and scarred by failure. He was marred and scarred by guilt. But he went forward. He went outside. He wept bitterly. He repented. And what became of Peter? He is the founder of the church of Jerusalem. And in, in those days, that's a big thing. And he went on. At the end of the day, the Roman Catholic Church took on his uh, uh, tenets of, 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 of theology. And then the Roman Catholic Church got birth. From the Roman Catholic Church, Protestantism got birth. From Protestantism, we're sitting here today. All because Peter did not let his failure define his Christian life. You may have failed God by not fasting and praying this year, maybe. You may have failed God by not memorizing even one scripture. Even the Lord's Prayer, you're like, there's a Lord's Prayer, right? You may, but I don't want any one of us here to leave this auditorium feeling like you are the failure. Why? Because the Lord's Supper tells it all. The Lord's Supper tells it all. And with this, I want to invite the pianist to just come up. The Lord's Supper states that through our failures and with our failures, Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, never let anyone's failure define his mission and purpose on earth. If Jesus had failed, we would never have Christianity. But he never did. He pushed on with the last of his strength. He prayed, even if this cup cannot pass, I would drink it and I would bear it. And he did. And he walked with the last of his strength all the way to the cross. And he carried our failures on him all the way to the cross. And He resurrected on the third day to give us the victory that we can live in. To, to be the failure that we, we are called to be. To be the Judas that we are supposed to be. He took it to that cross. 
He became the Judas that we are supposed to be so that we can be the Peter that we are meant to be. Because all of us here, we've got a purpose and a destiny. You're not in this church out of accident. I don't believe. Even if you're the visitor, you're not in this church because you somehow uh, accidentally God called you here. I don't believe so. I believe you're in this church because I believe you, you are called to this particular church that God, God says, hey, I'm, I have my hand on SIBKL. Now you are all here because you're going to build SIBKL with God. Not with me, not with Pastor Chu, not even with Pastor Lee Chu. You're called to build it with Jesus, with God. You all have a purpose. But don't let your failures stop you from ever fulfilling your purpose in God. You could be a mother in this place. You feel like the worst mother. You feel like your children always fall sick. You feel like your children are failing in school. You feel like you can never provide enough for your child. You feel like the worst mother, but don't let your failures define your motherhood. You could be a husband. You could be the worst husband. Don't let your failures define you. You could be a Christian, but you're dating a non-Christian. Don't let your failures define you. You could be a Christian, a single girl, in the church and you've been looking for a boy for the last 25, 40 years and you're still single and the society may deem you a failure, the church will laugh at you and deem you a failure, but don't ever let your failure stop you from fulfilling your promises in God because you're not a failure in the eyes of Jesus. What's, what's a bigger, don't worry. If you think you are a failure because you're a single girl in this place, let me tell you a bigger failure than you, single boys. There's so many girls in the church there's so few guys to choose from. So uh, well, I, 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 can, I can see why girls are single, right? But if you're a single guy at 40, dude, pick a girl. I will marry you today. I'll give you a crash course of PMC and I'll marry you today. Pick a girl, come on. And then you feel like a failure. Oh, I can't pick a girl. I'm not good enough. No girl wants me. I'm not a cell leader. I'm not a pastor. I don't know my, my I can't sing for nuts. No, no girl wants me. I don't even know how to serve. I look like this. I, don't, I look like that and you feel like a failure, don't let your failure mark you. Come to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus at the cross says, I am your strength and your portion. Jesus says, I am going to be the strength that you cannot have for yourself. You don't have enough strength to pass the test. Jesus says, I will be that strength. I have won your life on that cross. What are you scarred by? Are you scarred because you're a Christian, but yet you are sexually confused, so you're scarred? Don't let that define you in your purposes of God. Are you scarred because you are a married person, and yet your husband ran out on you, and now you're a single mother in this church, and you feel ashamed, and you feel like a failure as a mother? Don't let that scar you from fulfilling your purposes in God. If, if, if you are a cell leader in this house, and you happen to lead a cell, and everybody in your cell knows the Bible better than you do, and you're wondering to yourself, why am I a cell leader again? Why am I leading these people? Don't let your lack of knowledge of the Bible hold you back from your purposes in God. Because God bought all our failures on that cross. Where we all failed, God succeeded. And He's the only one who succeeded He's the only one who could carry that cross. And even though the whole world looked at Jesus on that cross, and you know what the world said to Jesus? He is the failure. 
he claimed to tear down the temple. It's still standing. He claimed to heal the sick. He can't heal himself. He, came, he claimed that he could raise Lazarus from the dead. He can't save himself. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. He's going to die in half an hour. He's the ultimate failure. He bore our failure so that we can be all Peters. We may not be able to be the founder of the church of Jerusalem, but we could be the mother that he called us to be. We could be the worker in our office who is faithful. And one day, you would bring your co-worker to Christ and God fulfilled his purpose through your life. We could be the servant leader in this church, faithfully serving as the traffic marshal, faithfully serving as a stage manager that, you know, you carry things and nobody looks at you, nobody knows you're there, but somehow the podium just arrived. Right? But God says, I'm going to fulfill the purpose in your life one day. You don't know it yet, but don't live in your failures. Church, this morning, as we partake of the Holy Communion, I want us all to take our failures to the cross. I am very sure every single person in this room who is self-aware would know how you failed as a father, as a husband. You failed as a son. You failed as a Christian. Your whole family is laughing at you because you're the Christian. You're the poorest in the family. Your job is nowhere near better than your brother or sisters. And they're not Christians. And they're laughing at your face. And you feel like an absolute failure. Don't let that stop you from fulfilling your purpose in God. I want you to bring your failures to God with the cup in one hand, with the wafer in one hand. And I want us all to pray a prayer just between you and the Holy Spirit, between you and God. God, you see my failures and you took my failures to that cross so that I can stand up high with my head held high to praise you, to worship you, because after the Last Supper, what was the verse? And they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. We're going to end this service by singing a hymn no matter how much you failed, you're going to bring that to the cross and say, I'm going to stand up high with my head held high and I'm going to sing a hymn to you and tomorrow is going to be a new day. I am not going to stop making promises to God. I'm not going to stop saying that I want to try to memorize my scripture, one scripture a year. I'm not going to stop just because I failed. I'm not going to stop by not going to cell group just because I did not attend cell group last year. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep pressing on. And that's what God wants for you. Don't stop there. Don't let your failures define you. Keep moving on. Keep pressing on. Be a Peter. Keep pressing on. Go outside. Weep bitterly. Say sorry to God. And God is going to cover you in His arms. You know what the cross says? The cross does not mean that you never failed. That's what people think the cross is, that we never failed. No. The cross says you did fail. You failed miserably. You failed terribly. But the cross says, I'm going to come now to you and open up my arms to you and call you friend. Come into my arms, God says. 
and I will hold you and my love will embrace you and my grace on that cross will then give you the strength to carry on so that all of us here can fulfill that destiny God called you to fulfill, whatever it may be. Can I just invite the communion men to come up? And they're going to serve us communion this morning. And as you take the cup and as you take a wafer, I want us all to just bring your failures to God. I wish God I am a straight A student, but I'm not. I wish God I can go into an Ivy League university, but I can't. I'm so embarrassed. I'm a failure. I can, I can only go to public university in Malaysia. You're not a failure. What's wrong with public university in Malaysia? There's nothing wrong. You know how many successful people came from public universities in Malaysia? Oh God, you can start serving communion men whenever you're ready. Oh Lord, I cheated on my wife. She doesn't know it yet, but I feel so guilty that I'm working myself to death. I don't even dare come to church because I know what you think of me. And God is saying, don't let your failures mark you. Don't let your failures hold you back from the purpose God has called you in your life. Don't let it hold you back. God's not saying that you never failed, you never did commit adultery. God is saying you did. Now repent from your sins and His love is going to cover you and then His love is going to take you on this journey on that cross all the way until you see Him again. If you are a parent in this place and your child is no longer in church, and I know so many, you're, you're praying for your 18-year-old child, you're praying for your 21-year-old child, it's no longer in church. And he says, what happened? I failed as a parent. I absolutely failed. What happened to my son? What happened to my daughter? And God is saying, don't give up. Take the communion. Don't give up. Pray for your son. Keep praying for your daughter. Keep praying. Keep believing that God is going to do a work in your life. Keep on believing that God is going to do a work in your son's life. And it's, the work is going to be miraculous. The work is going to be incredible. You feel like you're the worst Christian in this whole auditorium. If only all of us knew the sin that you committed we would all throw stones at you. You feel that you are the worst. And this morning, God is calling you and God is speaking to you. You may be the worst, but the guy next to you is also the worst. The person next to you on your left is also the worst. You are, we are all the worst because we are only sinners saved by His grace. And don't let your sin hold you back from what God wants to do in your life. Go to God. Come to God take the communion and says, God, I want to start fresh. I want to end my year well. I want to go into my Christmas season ending the year well. I want to go into Christmas season with my head held high. The next time I go into a Chinese New Year reunion, I may be a single mother with three children to feed, but I'm going to go to that reunion with my head held high because my family may laugh at me, the world may laugh at me, but I know that Jesus loves me.